Yeah. Yeah, mission, mission camp was incredible. So many cool things happened there. I, I love what I get to do. I love getting to minister to our students and being ministered to by our students. I think that that is uh, one of my greatest joys in my life is getting to do what I get to do. Um, I also wanted to say that we brought 265 people to mission camp, which is such a cool thing, yeah. But we know that numbers are subjective, right? We don't care as much about the numbers as we do the life change. And we know that God clearly changed some lives and he, and he did some, uh, some life change there. Um, but we know numbers are subjective. Like the number four could, be, uh, uh, could tell a whole lot of different stories. Like if next year we brought four students to mission camp, that would be awesome. But like, you know, we wouldn't say that that's a, a super large number. But if we lost four students at mission camp... be a little different. We only lost one, so that's a good ratio. Um, no, at, at Mission Camp, we, uh, we had the theme of the Trinity. So it was the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, so I thought that was really cool that, that God had a, a theme that was about fathers at one of the days, and I now get to speak on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. Um, and I, I, I feel blessed because I've gotten to be uh, raised by who I consider the greatest father of all time, uh, other than our heavenly father, uh, but the greatest earthly father of all time, Bruce Arbogast. He, he has helped shape me into the man who I am today. Uh, so I'm very thankful for him. But it's not just fathers like that uh, that have helped shape me. I've had a lot of, of father figures that have helped shape me as well. And so I want to say happy Father's Day to you father figures in the house as well. Uh, so there are people that are uh, may not have kids of their own, but have poured into kids, poured into students, poured into young adults, and have helped change their lives. Uh, Pastor David is one of those father figures in my life, uh, and he has helped guide me, helped teach me, helped grow me in my life. And so I want to say thank you to Pastor David. Appreciate you for who you are. Yes, if we can. Uh, and I also get to be called a father. Uh, I have a wonderful family. Uh, I think we have a picture of my wife, Amanda, and that's my daughter, Riley. She's two and a half. Uh, they are awesome. Uh, I, my camera roll was not this full before I had Riley. I think it's, she's probably about 95% of my, my photos and videos now. And now we've got one on the way. We have a second daughter coming named Sadie. Yeah, yeah. So do I buy two phones now? I don't, I, th I think that's what you do. Uh, yeah, so she is, my wife is eight and a half months pregnant right now. So if I run off the stage, that's where I'm going, all right? There's not a fire. I don't want to say there's not a fire. Maybe there will be, but, uh, but there's another fire I'm dealing with. Um, but we have, uh, we have a great summer series going on. We're going through parables. And uh, so... Two weeks ago, Pastor David, he talked about the cost of discipleship and how if we want to follow Jesus, there is a cost. And so we have to know that going into it, that there is a cost, but it's a cost that is well worth it in our lives. Then last week, Paul Richardson, he talked about how we are unworthy servants and how even though we are unworthy servants, we are not worthy of anything that God gives us, God still gives us so freely. And he, gets, he calls us his children, which is an incredible 
thing that we get to be called. This week, we're talking about a familiar parable, but one that we rarely ever put into practicality. We rarely ever put into practice. And so let's just dive in. Let's dive in. Matthew 7. We're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. But before we read anything in Scripture, there's something we need to know. It's context. There we go. There we go. You heard a little bit of it. I say this every Wednesday to our students. Context, some background information. It helps us better understand what we're reading whenever we read Scripture. Because you never just open up a novel to the middle of the book, put your finger down, start reading, and expect to understand everything that you're reading. So why do we do that with the Bible? We shouldn't. So let's, let's find some context to Matthew chapter 7. So Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and it tells the story of Jesus, written from the perspective of Matthew, one of his disciples. And so Matthew, in Matthew 7, is writing about the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's most famous sermon uh, in scriptures. And this is actually the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. So everything that Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount, everything, all these different topics, he covers an array of topics, all of them lead to these verses in verses 24 through 27. And including the ones leading up to this, verses 13 through 23, he talks about the narrow gate and how there's a narrow gate to salvation, one way, and it's through him. He talks about how you can see someone that is... uh, a false prophet, someone that isn't actually following him. He talks about a a good tree and its fruit and how a, a healthy tree always bears healthy fruit and an unhealthy tree always bears unhealthy fruit and that those are the only two options. And then he says how there are gonna be many people that at the end of days come to him and say, Lord, Lord, wanting into heaven, but they never followed him and he will say, I never knew you. And so we see there's this, common theme in these verses of how there are two diverging paths, two ways of doing things. There's the right way and the wrong way. And he doesn't change in this parable here. He kind of continues that, but sums it all up. This is what he says in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell And the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So this is the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And the the bottom line, the focus of what Jesus is talking about is our foundation. So let's look more practically at what, what does a foundation actually do? A foundation does a few things. It holds the house up, right? That's probably the first thing that we would think of. The foundation holds the house up. The house is built on the foundation. So every ounce of that weight is held up by the foundation. Then he also, another thing that the foundation does is that it keeps moisture out. That's a key thing that your foundation does. Didn't know if you knew that. I didn't know that until I looked it up. But it keeps moisture out. And I find it funny and almost like Jesus knew this. In verse 25, he says, and the rain fell and the floods came. A good foundation keeps the rain and the floods from entering your house because he knows that that would cause more problems. So it keeps moisture out. And it also resists movement. Jesus also says that the winds blew and beat on that house. 
And so move, enough movement in a house can cause serious issues as well. And so a good foundation will make that house resist that movement from those winds. And these are all super important things. They're all very important things to a house actually staying up. Now, we may know that as adults, but a kid doesn't know this. Like for instance, my daughter, Riley, she loves to build with her Legos. She calls them her blocks. That's blocks for those of you that don't speak toddler. She loves to build with those. And uh, what she will do is she will just take the single uh, piece blocks and just stack them on top of each other over and over and over again. But of course, you get to a certain height and what happens? It falls down, right? And so she'll go, daddy, daddy, can you, can you build it with me again? Okay, yeah, sure. So we build it up again and she does the same thing, builds it all the way up and of course it falls again. Why? Because she has not built a foundation that can actually support what she's trying to build. She doesn't know about a firm foundation. So we, we see this in practicality here, but Jesus isn't just talking about a practical solution or a, a, practical, uh, a practical advice to these people. Like he didn't just talk about all of those topics in the Sermon on the Mount and then finish up with saying, hey, I'm also a general contractor, hit me up. We know that's not what he was doing. And so what was Jesus actually talking about when he references a foundation. He was talking about what we build our lives on, what we build our joy on, our hope on, our morals on, our identity on. That is what our foundation is. What we believe that will hold us up in the best of times and the worst of times, that's our foundation. So that's what Jesus is referencing here. And when he says that the wise builder builds his house on the rock, he's not talking about, when he says wise, he's not talking about intellect. Although a smart person in the construction world would build it on a rock, right? They would already know this. But when he's talking about wisdom, he's not talking about just straight intelligence. What he's referring to is someone that hears his words and does them. Right? He says in verse 24, everyone who then who hears these words and does them. Right? He's talking about our response to his teachings. How do we respond to his teachings? If we just hear his words, then we are not responding in the appropriate way because we can all hear God's words. In fact, all of us right now, we just read in Matthew, we read God's words. And so we're hearing God's words right now, but that's not what makes us wise because we could just sit here, hear them, nod our heads, agree. We can even throw out the, hmm. I love it when those happen, but we could just hear it. But if then we go home and nothing changes, then we aren't wise because Jesus says it's the wise person is one that hears his words and does them, changes part of their lives based on what his words say. Because someone that follows Jesus's teachings will build their lives on the best of foundations. His words are the best foundation for us. Leon Morris, the 20th century New Testament scholar said this in reference to these verses, a person who hears and does is not content with admiring some outstanding teaching. He makes it his guide and models his life on it. 
That's what we need to do when we hear God's words. We need to have it as our guide and then model our lives on it, put it into practice. We can absorb all of the words that we want. We can memorize the words. All of those things are good. We should be doing those. But if our actions don't follow those words, what's the point? We are not wise. We are not building on a firm foundation. We're building on something else. And we can even get it wrong in our attempts to use his words as our guide. Right? We know the right way, Jesus tells us, the right way is to build everything on him. Right? That's what we should do. We should build our entire lives, everything that our lives encompass, our finances, our parenting, our, our jobs, our happiness, everything should be built on him. That's the right way of doing it. Build everything on him. The wrong way of doing it, though, is to build him into everything. Because there's a difference between these two. And it's, the question is, what is the priority? See, in building everything on him, the priority is the foundation. It's Jesus. Building him into everything, the priority is the building design, not the foundation. It's what we want our lives to look like. It's our finances. It's our career. It's our status. It's our kids. That is the priority. How we want our lives to look. We're putting more emphasis on that. We can say, well, my, I, I hear those words. I hear God's words. But, you know, I got to see how it fits into my career. I got to see how it fits. Because, if, look, if it's going to mess up my chance for a promotion, I, I don't know if I can do it. Or, yeah. My kids are my priority, right? If I don't think this is gonna be good for my kids, I'm not doing it. I don't care if Jesus said it. Or my schedule is so tight, right? I mean, my schedule is tight. I've got a lot of things involved and it's so perfect. It fits so perfectly for me. So if it doesn't fit into my schedule, sorry, God, like I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. What is the priority? Clearly, if those are our reasons, then our building design is priority over our foundation. And it doesn't matter how great the building design is. If the foundation is bad, the house will crumble. So what's the foundation? We see this in practicality today in so many skyscrapers and tall buildings that have had foundational issues. Maybe the most famous one is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I think we, we have got a picture of it there. There it is. So many pictures have been taken there with people acting like they're holding it up. I'm sure some of you have done that as well. So when they were making the Leaning Tower of Pisa in the 1100s, they didn't realize that they were building the foundation on uneven soft soil. So the building started to sink in one area, hence the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And it took over 200 years for them to complete this construction. And they had to do massive remodeling throughout the process. And even till today, they're having to do massive remodeling of the foundation to keep it standing. And what's crazy is that over time, it just kept tilting more and more and more. 
In fact, at near the end of construction in 1350, the tilt on the Leaning Tower of Pisa was half of what it is today. So it just kept moving further and further. And if it was not for the constant massive improvements to the foundation, it would have fallen centuries ago. Even up until 20 years ago, they they were doing massive construction on it. So this is a continuous problem, and it's because the foundation wasn't secure from the beginning. And it's almost like Jesus knew this was a big deal, because he continues in verse 26, saying this, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell." and great was the fall of it. Now look, it could be easy for us to read that and judge the foolish man in it. But if we're honest, we're in a room full of fools right now. We are a room full of fools. Because how often do we hear the words of God on a Sunday, on a Thursday, on a Wednesday, in our daily lives, and we don't do that? Because Jesus says, if that's the case, we're a fool. And I know I have been a fool on one too many occasions for not doing what Jesus says. See, we need wisdom. We need wisdom in our lives. If we want to be wise, that means we need wisdom. Shocker, I know. So where do we get wisdom? Well, the Bible tells us it's from the Lord. We get it from the Lord. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he will be more than happy to give it to you. So if you want wisdom, ask God for it. And then on the other end, you might say, well, yeah, I, I can't, I'm asking God for it, but then I turn around and I just, I, I'm, I'm a fool again. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us that it's because you're hanging out with fools. In, in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So why are you becoming foolish? It's because look at the people around you. They are foolish. You want to be wise? Walk with people, do life with people that are also pursuing Jesus like you want to. This is why that gift that we're giving fathers today, this is why this is so important. You want wisdom? That will give you wisdom. Reading a chapter of Proverbs every single day, it's known as wisdom literature. And so read that and you will become wiser. See what God does in your life. See what God does in your families. See what God does in your finances by reading a chapter every day. Because I promise you, He'll do some really cool things. But we need wisdom. Because so often we, we don't want to build on a rock. We want to build on sand. And I, I asked a couple experts in the construction world about this. And this is crazy. Sand is a bad foundation. Yeah, expert confirmed. No, I know we're, I'm not saying anything revolutionary. We know that sand is a bad foundation, and yet 
We want to build on it so often, but it fails us so often. It's unsteady in times of difficulty, and the storms will come. If you read those verses, Jesus doesn't say, and if the rain falls, and if the floods come. No, he says, and the rain fell, and the floods came. This was a certainty. And the Jewish people that are hearing Jesus in this sermon, they would understand this because in Israel, there were two distinct seasons. There was the dry season in the summertime where there would be very little rain and it would be hot and dry. But come the winter, the rain would come and the rain would cause floods and winds and it could be dangerous for houses on shaky foundation. And so the Jewish people would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. They would have understood that, hey, I might be in a dry moment right now. I might be in a, in a time where there's no rain, there's no storm, but the storms are going to come. It will get difficult. And so finding sand and building on sand is not a smart idea. But our problem is that finding sand to build on is so easy. It's so easy. It's so convenient to build on sand, right? Who here would not want a beach house just built right on the beach, right? That would be awesome. You take three steps out, you're right in the tide. That's awesome. I would love that. But the house would never stand. And who wants to spend time finding the perfect rock to build on? No one wants to do that because that's inconvenient. You end up becoming more dependent on the rock than your building skills. And sometimes we want credit for our building skills. Hey, I want credit for how I built my life. I've done a great job. I've been a really good father. Someone needs to recognize me for that. I don't, I don't want to give credit to someone else. I want, I want credit for me. See, we're selfish beings. And so we want credit for our building skills rather than what we are building on. And then another problem that we have is that we look for things that may seem like a rock, may act like a rock sometimes, but ultimately are not a rock. I've got a little uh, experiment that I want to do here. This is a non-Newtonian fluid. It's actually just cornstarch and water. But it's called oobleck. Maybe you've done this in elementary school or maybe you've done this with your kids. This is uh, known as kitchen quicksand. So essentially when you put water and cornstarch together, it mixes up and creates a very interesting dynamic. See, sometimes it can seem like a solid, but other times it acts like a liquid. So even if I just do this, see, that looks very liquidy, right? But if I shake it a little bit, it becomes a little more solid. You would think it would splash a little more. And you can even kind of ball it up and it feels like a rock. It feels like a ball. It's a little squishy ball. It feels kind of like a stress ball. But then immediately when I let it go, it turns into a liquid. 
And I can even do something else with this. Let's see how this goes. I could punch it. And you might think it's gonna splash all over the place. And it might. <laughs> but let's try this out here. No splash. See, when you punch it, what happens is that the molecules actually tighten up right where you're punching. And so they hold your fist from going all the way down and splashing. But if I keep my hand in it, it sinks to the point where it can go all the way down, just like a liquid. And the problem is, is that sometimes you can get stuck, hence kitchen quicksand. And when we make something like this our foundation, see, when I'm like this, I feel secure. But I'm not. I'm just stuck. And stuck is not the same as secure. See, this would make a terrible foundation. Because in times of difficulty, it would not remain firm. It would fail me. So what is your sand or your oobleck? What is it? Is it money? Is money your sand? You've been putting a lot of effort into your finances. You, you believe that that is what's going to bring you joy? That's what's going to define your life? Bring you true satisfaction? Is it your career? or your titles, what people know you as, your status? Is that what, what you've been putting all of your chips in? You've been putting it in that? Maybe it's your kids. I know I'm hitting close to home here. But your kids become your life and you define your life based on your kids. Maybe it's your politics, your intelligence, your independence, your possessions, your reputation, whatever it is. None, and, and none of those things that I just mentioned are bad things. A lot of those things are good. But while sand may not be sin, they also can't save. Your sand may not be sin, but it also can't save you. See, we, we can look at this and understand that we cannot make these things our savior. And Pastor Jason always says that Jesus needs to be our savior and our Lord. And we can understand one of them really well. Like, okay, money, uh, money might be my sand, right? I've been putting a lot, of, a lot of my stock in my finances and how much money I have. And I've, I've been relying on that for my happiness, but I know, it, I know it can't save me. I know that that's not what I need for salvation. So maybe you understand that, that it can't be your savior, but man, has it been your Lord? Has it been what you have been pursuing over everything else, taking up all of your time, all of your energy, all of your thoughts, See, when we make it our Lord or our foundation, that's when it becomes sinful. And it's not just other things that can be sand. We can be sand too. 
We can make ourselves the foundation. Parents, dads specifically, we can get it in our heads that we have to hold our family up. We have to hold our family together, that we have to be strong enough. We have to be, and maybe you've heard this before, the rock of the family. But can I tell you this? You cannot be the rock. You cannot be the rock of your family. Why? You're not strong enough. And this might sound like an insult, but I promise you, this is a great thing. This is a freeing thing. See, you don't have to put that pressure on you. You don't have to bear that weight. Because again, you're not strong enough. See, muscles, they actually weaken the longer you hold something. So let's say, let's say you go to the gym and you, you get down, you sit down on the, on the bench press and you're about to bench 225. Notice I said you, not me. <laughs> and you, you lift that 225, that first rep, and it feels good. There's some explosion to it. There's some pop. That second time feels pretty good too. That third, fourth time, all right, you're, you're starting to feel a little bit. That fifth time, muscles are starting to, starting to talk to you. You get to the eighth, ninth time, now you're getting tired. Now your muscles are wearing down a little. You get to the 13th, 14th, 15th rep, which by the way, if you're getting to 15 reps on 225, well done. But you get to that 15th rep, you're real tired now. That bar isn't popping as much as it used to. You push any more, you start to feel your arms shaking and the bar slowly coming down. And you're gonna have to put that bar up because if you don't, what's gonna happen? It's gonna crush you. It's gonna crush you under the weight. As parents, as dads, we do that with our families. We feel like we have to hold our families up. Everything is relying on us. And if we break, the family breaks. When in reality, what's happening is that that, that pressure, that weight is slowly crushing us because we aren't strong enough. You aren't strong enough. I'm not strong enough to hold my family. You know who is? God is. God is strong enough to hold our families together. And he's the only one that can. Now, this doesn't mean that fathers and father figures aren't important in the lives of our families. We have tremendous impact in leading our families. In fact, research has come out on fathers and father figures that when, when fathers and father figures are involved in their kids' lives, kids are twice as likely to go to college. They're 80% less likely to spend time in jail. They're 75% less likely to experience teen pregnancy. And in father absent homes, the kids in those homes make up 90% of homeless and runaway children and 63% of youth suicides. Fathers have tremendous impact in their families. We have tremendous impact in leading our families. But where we can lead our families, we cannot save them. We cannot save our families. 
One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard is from a pastor in South Florida, Bob Barnes. He runs a, a nonprofit organization that helps families with kids that need a little bit of help. He says this, parents are not responsible to raise godly children. They are responsible for having their children see godly parents. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to raise the perfect kid because that ain't gonna happen. Our responsibility is for our kid to see someone that is fully devoted and pursuing Jesus because that's what they need to see. If you put the pressure on yourself to raise the perfect kid, you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be crushed. But if you understand that your responsibility is just to show them what a godly follower of Jesus looks like, that's when everything comes into light. That's when you experience true freedom. That's when you're freed from this weight of your family crushing you, trying to hold them all together. Love your family like Jesus loved them. Because so often we could be so worried about our kids' spiritual lives than our own. We ignore our own. We may set up healthy habits and boundaries and strategies and structures for our kids, but when it comes to us, none of them apply. Why? Because we say, well, I just don't have time for that. Or, you know what? It doesn't fit into my schedule or I'm so tired. Or one that I know I struggle with, well, I should, I should have it all together already. I'm the parent. I shouldn't have to put this stuff into place. I should already have it together. When in reality, we are all on the same path of sanctification. If we have trusted in Jesus, we have been justified through his blood. And now we are on a process, a forever path until we meet Jesus of becoming more like him. We're never going to have it all together. We shouldn't feel that pressure. We should feel the pressure of wanting to pursue him more. Because that's going to be a continuous process. And if we ever stop, if we ever stop and say, well, I should have it all together, that means we're no longer running toward him. We're standing in place because we think that's where we should already be. We don't need to have it all together. And in fact, if you're not leading yourself to Christ, then you're not leading yourself well. And if you're not leading yourself well, how are you gonna expect to lead others well? How are you gonna expect to lead your family well? In the end, you're either trying to pursue him in your life or you're trying to be him in your life. So where are you at? Where are we at? Are you trying to pursue Christ? Are you trying to be Christ? Are you trying to be the foundation? because you don't have to hold everything together. You can let God's words hold you together. The pastor at mission camp, Pastor Matt, he said something that I loved. He said, if, if God can hold every atom in the universe together, can't he hold you together? I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what your family's facing right now. 
But if God is holding everything in this world together in perfection, the water cycle, how complex that is. And yet God holds that together. Where we're placed in the universe, if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were any further away, we'd freeze up. He holds us in that position so perfectly. If he can hold all of this stuff together, can't he hold you together? Maybe you're in here and you've been pursuing so many other things as your foundation to hold you up, to hold you together. And it's been fruitless. You've been spinning your wheels. You've been looking from thing to thing, from person to person. And none of it has been secure. You've either crumbled or you've felt stuck. If that's you, I want to tell you, you can find a firm foundation in Jesus. One that will not let you down. One that will hold you up in your worst moments. One that will keep all of the things, the moisture, the things that want to invade you. He will keep that out. All of those thoughts in your head that seem to seep in. Telling you that that you're a terrible person, that no one could ever love you. That you have failed over and over again as a dad. God can help keep that out, hold you up, and help you stand firm in who he is, not in who you are. If you need Jesus right now to be your foundation, we're gonna give you that chance. I'm gonna pray. And you could tell him that you want to trust him over everything else in your life. Let's pray. If that's you and you have trusted or you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all you got to do is talk to him right now. Just say, God, I admit that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth, live a perfect life, and then die on the cross to pay for my sins. And then he rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death. And I want to follow him the rest of my life over everything else that I've been pursuing. If that was you and you trusted in Jesus for the first time, this is the greatest day of your life. You have gone from death to life. And we wanna know about that. We want to celebrate that with you. So if that was you and you trusted in Jesus, just raise your hand. Raise it high so that we could celebrate that with you. We have people that will come around, place a Bible in your hand help you on that, that path that you're on. Or maybe you've already trusted in Jesus as your savior, but you've been putting so much sand in that foundation because that is what you are putting as your Lord. God, I pray that you can show us those areas in our lives that we are packing sand in when we should have you. 
God, I pray that we can rely on you, the rock, the firm foundation, the one that won't let us fall, the one that won't let Satan get to us in the ways that he wants to get to us, Lord. And that, Lord, in the times of difficulty, you stand firm and therefore you hold us firm. God, help us see you in the difficult times and help us rely on you, not ourselves. Let us recognize that you have the power. You have all authority in the world. We don't have to hold ourselves. We don't have to hold our families. We can give it to you and you can hold us because you're the only one strong enough to do it, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us and who you call us to be in your son's name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you, church.